Thank you, Pastor David. And I want to just continue on that note. I was involved with Doxazo this week, a wonderful opportunity to see our students uh, led by Jeremy and Ryan Wynn and serve that community. Just an honor to be involved in that. And I also want to give you a report. Um, I was going to announce to you the uh, total of our Christmas offering over this past Christmas season. And for those of you who are new, we really uh, encouraged our congregation to focus on, on some key elements, key values to drive Christmas this year. Number one, this simple message, a uh, simple plan of redemption that God called us all in simple people in simple places to uh, call everyone to the gospel. Uh, due to what Jesus has done. And we ask people to give generously. 100% of these resources would go outside of our church. They wouldn't be spent on anything inside with different partners that we would partner with in uh, in advancing the gospel. And so uh, last year, let me just give you a little bit of background on this. Last year, we gave around $38,000 for our Christmas offering. And so this year, we had the goal of $75,000 and we were, I know I kind of, we kind of doubled that. It kind of went crazy, <laughs> but, but we were thinking, boy, these are key areas like the Highcrest area, uh, with the Doxazo camp to fully fund that. And then with a community transformation fund for that, that area, it's one of the most at risk, um, neighborhoods in the whole state of Kansas. And, and we, they need our help. So we're gonna, we're gonna help them there. And then we looked at fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are serving their children one meal a day on some kind of cornmeal. And, uh, they're in southern Sudan. They're being persecuted right now. And we could fund a very expensive, but uh, fund an airdrop of supplies so that they can get the much needed medical and nutritional help that they need immediately. And so we're gonna get that rolling. And then we even added the, um, aquaponic structure to help uh, families in the Dominican Republic get self-sufficient in in fish and and uh, vegetables and things that they can grow on their own and even sell and support themselves. And so we put this seventy-five thousand dollars thing. We built that little. We had that little model come in of the aquaponics thing. We I stayed in the hut with the other pastors for twenty-one nights and. Nick Strobel got the worst night in the hut. He had hail and then it rained and then it had blowing snow. He woke up in the morning and he had a snowdrift next to his sleeping bag in there. I had the night after that and it was still cold and I was freezing. We kind of did it just to show you and to give you awareness of what's happening in the world. And then we built that refugee structure, which I stayed under with my boys one night and we froze there. But it was just the picture to show you what Basically, in that in that hut out there, over two billion people in our world live like that every day without the choice to go back to their homes. So it was just a good interactive experience. So we put out this vision and you guys really showed up. Remember, I told you seventy five thousand dollars, which was our goal, and it was almost double of what we had last year with that goal. And as of five o'clock this evening, our treasurer, Steve Pogue, let me inform and let me know that the giving of that offering is $121,000 and five, 21, sorry, 121,500, okay? So think about that. This is the first time since I've been here in 11 years that you have outdone me on vision. You've said, we, we buy this vision. We're going to do this. And we've committed to you 100% of those funds, $121,500 will be spent outside of this church. 
So we're getting together this week and going beyond that 75,000. And we have a lot of different areas that outside of this church in our community and around the world that we're going to give this to. I want to thank you. You really, um, man, God is, hasn't God taken us on this whole picture of generosity and just proven to us we can't outgive him? He is so generous to us. He's given us Jesus, the greatest gift ever given, and in my life, the greatest gift ever received. And I also want to just, you know, my family really took this seriously, and um, my boys, like like James, he just drew a picture for me. And you know what? That was priceless. It was a picture of him kayaking, which is what we'd love to do together. And that's a priceless gift. It took him time, but not money. And he gave the money to the offering. And Jackson, my other son, learned how to play the guitar this year. He wrote me a song and sang it to me on Christmas. And I was bawling like a baby. I've never cried at opening gifts like that. But those are priceless gifts. Because we wanted to, we wanted to spend less in order to give more. And we really know that now, right? When, when we give our hearts, God really is honored and glorified by that. So let's just thank God. I think it's so good at, from time to time to pause and celebrate God's work among us. Would you pray with me as we just thank Him for this? Father, thank you for the gift of generosity. And you've modeled it to us. You gave your only son to this world. And, uh, and we've received it, and it's changed our lives. We're not the same. And so thank you for calling us into your character, into following you and being a generous people. And we know we can't be generous without giving. So you worked in everyone here who gave to do a great work amongst us, and we really see what can happen. Transformation can happen when people follow you. So we thank you. And we ask that you would bless these ministries. I pray that there would be transformation in the High Crest community and transformation in those children and their families from being a part of the Doxazo camp. For um, the, the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering right now in Sudan, may this be, when they receive this from the sky, may they look up and thank you and may you receive the glory. And then for these future families who are going to benefit from that aquaponic structure, I just pray you would bless them and show them every day that you're the one who provides for them. Thank you that we could show a greater picture of who you are. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, um, wow, what a great opportunity, isn't it? Thank you for being involved in that. And let me transition now because we're going to be talking about the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. And if you were here on, th- on Christmas Eve, we talked about the good news of Jesus, how we need it. Our world needs good news because we haven't been getting good news, right? Unless you, you just tuck yourself in, you know, in, in a room and just play, you know, Julie Andrews movies all your life. You're, you're not going to see the reality of life. You're going to see that the picture of, of a broken, dark, bad news world. But the gospel is good news. That's the whole picture of it. And I want to point your, you to a passage right now in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Paul prayed for the church in Colossae, just as I pray for you. And this is what I pray. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you've heard before in the word of the truth, 
the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Look what Paul says here. Paul kind of tells us that our faith is in Jesus Christ. He tells us that our love is for Christ and each other. And then he says that through the gospel, we have the hope laid up for us in heaven. Paul likes likes to talk about those three pillars of the gospel. Your faith, hope, and love. And he says these three things will remain. Even after Jesus returns and takes us to be with him, those three will remain. We will always have faith, hope, and love. And now he says, in this world right now, the greatest of these is love. And so that's the gospel. It's a summary of us. And it has come to us. Just like it's going and increasing in the whole world, as Paul said, it did back then. The gospel continues to bear fruit and increase. And it's also bearing fruit in our lives. Since the day we heard it and we understood it, the grace of God in truth. And so what we're going to be looking at over these next uh, several weeks is just this whole picture of what could it look like for the gospel to be in me? the gospel to move through me, and then even to be a part of something where the gospel would move beyond me. And we're going to look at what could it look like as a church for the gospel to be in us, to move through us, and then actually to be a part of something far beyond us. And so tonight, what I want to focus on is the gospel as a moment in your life and the gospel as a movement through your life. And uh, as we do that, I wanted to uh, just, again, remind you, remember when we were in Ephesians this past year, and we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, which uh, verse 10, that Paul says that the gospel has been a plan of God from the ages to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The gospel is that good news, that God has come to rescue humanity and restore all things through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not here to worship the gospel. We're here to worship Jesus. But in the same way that when you get a gift that's really going to meet a huge need in your life, you don't worship the gift. You worship the value of the person who's given that to you. You thank God for that. And so the gospel is the good news that God has come and he rescued And he restores all things through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, this gospel may be new to you. Uh, You may realize or or have come on Christmas Eve and you're back tonight and you want to know more about this gospel. Welcome that we are here to explain the good news to you. You may have been disconnected from the church and someone invited you tonight and now you're getting reconnected. And and the good news about the gospel is explained. and, And that's what we're planning on doing tonight. Hey, I made a video for our Easter service and it summarizes what the gospel is because the the word is so often misconstrued and misunderstood that I, uh, I solicited a help from a local artist and we, we call it the whiteboard gospel and we showed it on Easter and I wanted to show it to you again, just as a resource. We'll keep referring back to this. Take a look at it. It's on the screen. 
Hi, I'm Joe Hishma, and I'm pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Topeka, Kansas. As a student of the Bible for most of my life, I like to break things down into simple concepts to explain what I believe is a really important truth. So I've asked a local artist named Michael Mize to help me illustrate what I believe is the shout of the Bible. That is, if you miss the minor things, this is the major point of the Bible, and it would have to be the gospel. The gospel is revealed in the Bible answers so many of the huge questions in life, like how we got here. What purpose do I have? Who defines what's right and wrong and what happens after I die? So I want to talk to you for a few minutes on what exactly is the gospel. And I want to do it in a way that if you aren't familiar with the Bible or aren't quite sure of what you believe about God, this might make things easier to understand. The gospel is known throughout the Bible as good news. So to summarize the whole story of the gospel in the Bible, think about four major events. Good news, bad news, good news, and great news. Let's talk about that first event of good news, the news of creation. From the very first verse of the first book of the Bible, we can see that before we existed in this world, God was. God has always been, and throughout the Bible, he is revealed as the creator of everything that exists. God originally created this world without sin, and everything was created to complement him. God created the universe and the world within the universe. He created the oceans and the mountains, lakes, rivers, vegetations, and all living things. And finally, God formed his masterpiece, the masterpiece of us, the apple of his eye. So he placed the first man named Adam and the first woman named Eve into a garden where they could enjoy him and live together in love joy, and fulfillment. They enjoyed him and reflected his greatness through loving him and each other. Right now, we can really only imagine what this world was like. So how did things get the way they are? When things were perfectly created, how did they become broken? The Bible explains that although God created a beautiful and perfect existence with us, he also gave us the choice to live without him. He didn't create us as robots. He never forced us to love and worship him. God values a loving relationship, and loving relationships choose to love each other willfully. So within that garden God originally created, he placed a tree that he commanded them not to eat of. We aren't told how long it took, but in spite of being offered this choice, they were tempted to eat of the tree, and they both ate the fruit that God told them not to eat. The Bible explains that what they did in the garden is really what the concept of sin is all about. God created a beautiful life in relationship with them. He called them to willingly follow him, yet they re chose to reject him and go their own way. And the result is that they lost. They lost far more than they ever imagined. They lost their close relationship with God. They lost their acceptance and love for each other and with the rest of creation around them. They lost everything God created that for them to enjoy. And because they lost, we lost. This massive event of loss has been passed down over human history to us. And as a result, the Bible says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not only does sin leave us away from God, it also makes us against God. The, but the Bible tells us that God is truth. He defines what's right and wrong, what's good for us, and what's destructive for us. Sin exchanges the truth of God for what we think is best. The Bible states this condition that they exchange the truth of God for a lie, and they worship the creature rather than the creator. Sin leaves us anti-God. We don't want him. We certainly don't want his way for us. Although we don't want God, we're still accountable to him. He's our judge, and he will punish sin. 
How do you deal with bad news? Some think you can actually work your way back to God. And the thought behind this is that God is up in heaven, keeping a list of all the things we've done, right or wrong. And if somehow our good works could outweigh our bad works, then our guilt could be erased. The only question is, how good do you have to be to get back to God, where he accepts you, forgives us, and loves you like he did when he originally created you? Well, the main point of the gospel and what makes it good news again is that God has already acted to deal with the bad news in our lives. Even more than we can, God sees our inability to be good enough to earn our way back to him. That is why he sent his son, Jesus, who came to this imperfect world to live a perfect life. He died on a cross, taking the punishment for our sin, and he rose from the dead to defeat the power of sin and death in our lives. Everything we cannot do, Jesus did. Everything that we lost when we walked away from God, Jesus restored. The good news of the gospel is that we don't have to work our way back to God. In his love for us, Jesus died for our sins. He finished the work that we could not even begin to start. Jesus did the work. He offers himself like a gift as a way back to God. And the gospel is good news for everyone. The same world that lost it all can find it again in the person and the work of Jesus. The Bible clearly states that if you confess your, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It also says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Once you know about what God is offering you through the work of Jesus, the only thing you need to do is accept it like a gift. You don't earn a gift. You don't deserve a gift. You can't pay for it to remain a gift. You simply need to accept it and live with the reality of it. And you accept the gift of God by believing that what Jesus did in his life, his death, and his resurrection were for you. When he lived a perfect life, it was for you. When he died on the cross, it was for you. When he rose from the dead, he lives for you. Salvation is offered to everyone through the gift of Jesus. But just like God originally created things, he's also giving you the choice to either accept the gift of Jesus or to reject him. To live with God, loving him, loving others, or to live away from God, against him, on your own, lost in a broken world. So faith is simply trusting in Jesus to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Faith is saying to God, God, I'm lost. I've been living away from you, but today I come to you trusting in the work of Jesus to do for me what I cannot do, to save and restore my life. I believe Jesus lived a perfect life for me. He died on a cross to forgive my sin, and he rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Thank you for finding me. Help me to love and live for you. Amen. Once you accept the work of Christ for you, the good news continues with the hope that someday Jesus will return and restore all things. He will come to make all wrong things right. All evil will be judged, and righteousness and goodness will win on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus will reign and we will be restored. The future restoration will actually be better than the original creation. Our future with God will build on the good news and become great news for everyone who receives and believes in Christ. Good news, bad news, good news, great news. All are explaining what the Bible says about the plan of God, the forgiveness in Christ, and the complete restoration of all things provided in the gospel. 
So the gospel really shows us who we are, right? We're created in the image of God. God's fashioned us with a desire for him. We're not alone. We're not some random organism that survived the ages and continually got better to the point where we are today. No, we're created in the image of God, but it also explains what's wrong with me and what's wrong with you. It explains it in a problem of sin. And so this is the gospel because it's not just the truth about us. It's truth about God. He's invaded our world. And the good news is it's all his work. It's not ours. That's why Paul, when he talked about the gospel, said like in Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God, not your own power, power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And, and that's the whole picture is that it's all the power of God. When I see the gospel in someone's life, I see the power of God working. And it's, it's, um, because of the power of God that I can honestly say up here that it's not what you've done. It's not what you're doing. It's not what you're trying or who you're trying to be. It's simply in you trusting who Jesus is and what he's done in your life and for you. Now, we believe everyone should believe the gospel of Jesus. We really do. It's not just something for people who go to Fellowship Bible Church. And so our our whole purpose is that everyone would be offered the gospel. And we exist here as a congregation to present the gospel in multiple ways to everyone here in Topeka. That's our goal. That we would have relationships with everyone here. A city of 120,000, uh, a county of 180,000, where we can get our arms literally by loving people, sharing and offering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we believe everyone should believe in the gospel because of two simple realities. Number one, it's only through Christ that we're rescued. It's only through Christ that we're rescued. And that's where it says in Romans 10, 9, the video showed it, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what belief is. It's the content in the work of Jesus, simply believing and receiving the rescue of God. You know, your greatest need is met by God's greatest solution, his son, Jesus Christ. Salvation is shown to us is not something that comes inside of us. In other words, we can't save ourselves. It's something that must come from the outside into our lives. When a country is invaded and uh, the authorities and the power are overthrown, I don't know if you remember the Gulf War when that happened to Kuwait, and some of you served in that war. Um, we had to go and deliver them. We had to, an outside powerful force had to invade, reinvade Kuwait and restore that country back to its leadership when Iraq took it over. Uh, if you have a bacteria in your life, an antibiotic has to come from the outside into your life to provide healing there. If you've had an injury that leaves you unconscious, you need help And healing usually comes from the outside, like from a paramedic or from a doctor who treats you in an emergency room. If you have debt and there's no way for you to repay that debt, if you're up to your eyeballs in debt, you usually have to have a rich uncle or win the lotto or have something, a legal effort done from the outside to give you rescue in your, from your inside. Even 
And I try this all the time with my 12-year-old to try to convince him he needs a shower because he doesn't make himself clean, okay? Um, He needs water from the outside to clean him. We get this in every area of our lives, except when it comes to our relationship with God. People almost resist it, that it's the work of God, it's not theirs. I don't know why, if it's just this angle of control that I think I need to control my relationship with God, or I think I really can be good enough, and we look around us and we go, I can be better than Scott, and as long as I'm better than Scott, then I'm not doing that bad. And God never compares you with anyone else except Jesus Christ. And for that, we all fall fall short, right? So Jesus Christ is who we're compared to because Jesus Christ is the perfect one. And because we all fall short, we all need Jesus. He's our greatest need. And so we need deliverance. It's like Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says. It says about Jesus that, uh, that, that he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's only through Jesus that we're redeemed with God. It's only with Jesus that we're rescued from our sin. We're rescued even from the wrath of God. We're rescued even from the brokenness of ourselves, our own lives. Jesus provides that rescue. And that's why the gospel demands a moment in time for all of us to respond to it. It demands a moment in time where we just do a, a collective thought in with, our, with our mind and go, is the gospel in me? Do, am I trusting in the work of Jesus for my life? Do I, I know this is, this is something that the church says, but do we really believe this? Am I someone who really believes this? See, it requires us all to have that moment. You know, that moment for some of you was Christmas Eve. Some of you, it was 2012. There was a moment in time in 2012 where you thought it was all about you performing. You thought it was all about you going to church because the feeling it gave you or you giving in the offering or you being nice to people around you. And you realized you can never be good enough to be perfect. So we all need Jesus. And you took that humble moment where you realized it was all what Jesus has done for me and you trusted him. Uh, for me, it was when I was four years old. My mom explained the gospel to me when we were eating around the dinner, when my dad was out of town, and it made sense to me. And the gospels continued to, you know, I continue to look back, although I understand it in much more profound ways than I did when I was four. I still remembered I needed, I was a sinner at four, and I needed Jesus at four, and I still need him today. And he's the only, he's the only way to be rescued. He's the one who provides that. So it, the gospel demands a moment that we'll never forget. And that's, that's our response to the gospel. Do you have the gospel in you? Has there been a time where you by faith just realized, I'm no longer going to trust in myself. I'm going to trust in what Jesus has done for me. I'm, I'm done trying to do things. And I need, to comp- I need to trust in what's already been done for me. That's the moment. Because everyone needs this rescue from God. Therefore, everyone needs to believe in the gospel. And then secondly, through Christ, not only are we rescued, but through Christ, we're restored. Everyone needs not only the rescue of God, but the restoration of God. And that's also provided through Jesus. 
See, through Jesus, we're restored to God. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The bad news is literally restored in your life to good news because you're restored back to God. You're restored to others and you're you're even restored to yourself. You're no longer a hopeless, helpless person in this world. You have a hope and you have a future through Jesus. And this the gospel moves beyond a moment now into a movement in your life. The gospel needs to be churned in my life. It's like one of those, you know, uh, laundry, you wash, I mean, drying machines. It, it just churns in my life where I see God's grace churning over and over. I still need the gospel in my life. I still need to trust that it's God's work in me, not me trying to be a good pastor or a good husband or a good, good father or a, a, you know, a good guy. It's, I still need the grace of God. I never outgrow my need for grace. I needed God's grace today in the Target checkout line. When some lady in front of me bought all the 80 and 90% off the items, the cards and the wrapping papers and the, she's gonna, she's, she is set for eternity, it seems like. She had her whole cart filled with that and I just had two items and she darted in front of me and, you know, I didn't say what I was thinking, thankfully, but she darted in front of me and I'm going, I got, I'm kind of in a hurry and I didn't want to mess with this. And, and so I jockey in position and all of a sudden he goes, wants to have a conversation with her behind that counter. And as she's talking, she's just scanning and, you know, I would be like the Aldi's checkout, you know, and she was just scanning it like this. And I was growing so impatient and I was so frustrated and oh, the thoughts. And then it just dawned on me, Joe, you're a pastor. You're a pastor. You have the grace of God in your life. You have the gospel. You have the good news. God was patient with you. He waited for you to come to him because his patience he, he wants everyone to come to him. That's why he's patient right now. Do we need his patience? Yes, I need the patience of God in my life. I need the gospel because the character of Jesus is what I need in my life. And only he provides that for me. Only he teaches me how to do that. So we need the gospel. And so those who are restored are restorers. The redeemed of the Lord restore the world. And we give pictures of what it looks like to be rescued through God's work of restoration. God is committed to you. Once he rescues you, it's not like a fish which he puts on a a stringer and says, okay, you're out of hell. No problem. We'll see you then. You know, Christians don't believe that, that the gospel is just hell insurance. Okay. Yes, you've been rescued, but it's also something to restore you back to God. God's intended, he created you to worship and glorify him and, and bring him praise and to love him and to love others and to live far beyond a little little pipe dream that we have into a, the wonderful, awesome story of God revealed in the gospel that reaches rich and poor, whatever race, whatever background, 
with forgiveness and hope and a future. And that is at work in me. It's a movement that's happening in me and you. That's why Paul said this. Paul saw it so much that he aligned himself so much to Christ that he said in Galatians 2.20, he says this. For I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the gospel then, when it's not just rescuing you, but it's restoring you, it restores your whole mindset that you would be someone who loves others and gives yourself up for others. See, that's why the gospel's been the greatest grid for my marriage. It's taught me how to love my wife and then to give up my life. See, most of this world wants to marry someone for what they'll get. The gospel teaches us to what we'll give. See, that's why as a church, our, our church, when the gospel is restoring us, we don't spend it all. We give ourselves up so that others might be saved. See, the gospel is restoring us. So let me just ask you this question. Um, is the gospel restoring you? I mean, I'm not just talking about have you grown in your information of the gospel this past year? Have you grown in your transformation of the gospel this year? Some of you would say, absolutely. I mean, I came without a God consciousness to this place and I received the gospel and I've seen it change everything about me. I mean, I, for once in my life, have true hope. Some of you have gone, man, I was angry at my father for what he's done to me as a child and my father's out of my life and I never wanted to see him again. But due to the forgiveness of Jesus, I'm no longer trying to get even. Because... Jesus isn't getting even with me. He gave me grace. See, even the deepest wounds are being restored with the gospel in our lives. Now, none of us are perfect. None of us. So if you think that Christians are perfect, I'm sorry. That's not going to work. And you probably realize that anyway. I, I am a Christian and I know it. I'm not perfect. But I'm following someone who is, who's committed to restoring my heart and yours. Through Christ, we're restored. And that's that whole picture of a movement of the gospel through my life. It's a story that's happening. That this year, it's been a lot of growth. And maybe that's something, if you, if you have your family here and you're hearing this message, maybe there's some time between now and the New Year's where you can just go, how has the gospel been restoring you this year? What has God been teaching you? What have you been growing in with the gospel? Some of you would say, man, I used to never spend time in God's word. I was just thinking he'd speak to me some whatever. But now I am. Now I'm starting to really seek direction from God's word. Others of you said, I never prayed before 2012, but now I am. I'm just having conversation with God and I'm praying with him. Others of you said, boy, this has been the first year we've actually tried to be generous with God. And you've seen how he's restored so many things in your lives. See, that's what we hear when you allow the gospel to move through you and you allow Jesus's restoration work to move through you. You transform. You look more like Jesus and people see Jesus as a result of that. So that's the whole picture of the gospel in you. We think it's so important. The gospel is in everyone here at Fellowship Bible Church. 
We understand that some of you are coming from other churches. Uh, Many of you are coming without a church background. So this is the first church family you've ever been a part of. Well, it's important that you just don't hear the gospel. But there's a moment in your life when you would trust the work of Jesus through your life contained in the gospel. And once you know him, it's important that the gospel is restoring our lives. So we're not just growing in information, but we're being, we're being changed through transformation. Let's pray. Would you just bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask you to respond uh, quietly to the Lord right now. Because if you're here and you've heard of the gospel, but tonight you understand that it really is the rescue of God and you need to be rescued. You realize that. And you want to trust in Jesus. Just tell him. There's no magical prayer. It's just, Jesus, I understand now. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you that it's all your work, not mine. I trust in your work. Thank you. And if you're here and you want the gospel to restore your life this year, would you just pray a prayer to God and ask him to do that right now? God, as, as I look at this upcoming year, restore a love for you in my life. That I'd love you more in 2013 than I did in 2012. That I'd love my family members, my wife, my kids. That I'd, I'd love people around me. If you're dealing with a certain issue in your life that's eaten your lunch, would you say, God, restore honesty to my life if it's lying. Or restore peace if it's anger. Allow Jesus to restore that through the power of the gospel in your life. He's the only one who can make it happen. If you're willing to follow him, he'll lead you right out of whatever you're dealing with. Now, let me pray for you all. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the the good news of the gospel that has rescued and restored us. We are people who want your rescue And we are people who want your continual movement of restoration in our lives. Thank you that it's all a work of Jesus as we open our lives to be changed and transformed by him. You can count on us to be a church that's committed to the gospel being in each of us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.